0: Welcome, listeners. I'm really glad that you're here today. And today I'm doing something that I have not done before, but a long time ago, over a year ago, I had Michelle Knees on and we talked about maintenance, spousal maintenance. It was called the ins and outs of alimony. And I think that's what I'm going to call this one too. Not positive yet, but it is my number one listen to podcast ever. So I would thought I'm going to take a moment to bring that back so that all the new listeners can hear her insightful information. It's a great episode. So I'm thankful that you're here. And if you need divorce support and want to try my Minnesota DIY course, it's awesome. It's easy, affordable, quick, and effective. And I will hold your hand through the process through courses on my website. You can just go to lisakoski.com to my online courses. I would be thrilled to help walk you through the divorce process in an easier, better way. Welcome to Doing Divorce Different. Join family law attorney turned mediator,
1: Lisa Koski, for candid conversations on how to alleviate the fear of divorce and how to heal through empowerment. Now your host, Lisa Koski.
0: This week's episode of Doing Divorce Different is so, so good. It's one of my top guests ever, Michelle Knies. She's an attorney who works in the area of family law in Minnesota and Wisconsin, and she walks hand in hand with me. She likes to look at divorce positively, getting people beyond. So Like me with that, my simple streamlined approach to divorce with a peaceful outcome, she has the same idea, even though she's not working with couples together, she's advising one client. And today we delve in to spousal maintenance. So if you are heading into a divorce or in the midst of it, or even thinking about it, you need to listen to this episode because It is filled with all the information you need about spousal maintenance. Welcome listeners. I am excited and I know you will be too because I have Michelle Knies, an attorney who works in both Minnesota and Wisconsin. She has been on a while back, almost a year ago. And I was telling Michelle before we came on, she's one of my top five. So She's fun to listen to. And what we're going to be talking about today is spousal maintenance. So if you are looking into a divorce or starting to go through the process and have questions about how spousal maintenance works, you're like tuned into the right episode. So what I want to do is I'm just going to kind of let Michelle, she's really got a heart for what she does. And what I love about Michelle is She always is positive. You have a positive outlook. And I, I don't know if you know that that comes up, but I know that you like to work together if you can. And you're like a great representative and advisor for people who can't work together. So Michelle, would you mind just sharing your story about why you have a heart for doing divorce and what led you to do this?
1: Sure. Absolutely. I started my law career doing business litigation at a firm in downtown Minneapolis. And that while it was fine, it wasn't super fulfilling. I had an opportunity to volunteer at the Volunteer Lawyers Network. And I did a divorce for a guy who had been separated from his wife for several years. I think we found her in Nevada. But he just wanted the paperwork done, right? He just needed the simple divorce. And so I did that and got it done for him. And it was insane he called me afterwards and was just he was in, he was so grateful and i just i've never experienced that outpour from a client before and so after that i ended up getting a position with a family law firm on the east side of minnesota and i was there for several years and then moved to another firm and then had my own practice for a really long time and now i'm in practice at helmuth and johnson we've we're building quite the the practice group at this point, about to six attorneys. So it's wow. yeah. But I also have my own personal side to it too, because I ended up going through my own divorce at one point with two kids and you know, a new house and a new law firm and it was it was it was eye opening. It it sort of gave me a whole new perspective of what my clients go through and I already knew what to expect. Right. You know, and the emotion that I had going through it, knowing I knew, you know, knowing what was going to happen, that was pretty intense. And it just gave me a whole new appreciation for what my clients go through when they have no clue what's about to happen. And that that sort of changed how I approached them or how I advised them because I just I had a soft spot for that, that anxiety that comes with.
0: I mean, you knew it. You felt it. And I, yeah, I'm sure. And you know what I love about what you said too is that kind of what sparked you wanting to do this was that someone was so grateful that you got them to the other side. Mm-hmm. And that is always my thing. I want to help my clients so that beyond this, they can look back and be so thankful mm-hmm. that they did it and they've come out on the other side. Because Michelle, I don't know a lot of people. That aren't thankful. They're not, you know, the growth and the, and even when it's hard and a fight, when you finally get through it, there's relief and gratitude. And so I love that. Even though we kind of do different things, we kind of work parallel, kind of the same. So I love that. And so now I just want to talk to you about when I have clients who come to me. I have both of them come together because I'm not advising either of them. I'm just their I'm their mediator. And when we're going to talk about spousal maintenance and they're working together, you know, they're usually caring for each other, but it's still a hot spot. So what mm-hmm. we generally do is we go through and we do, we go through their asset spreadsheet first and kind of figure out how that's going to play out. It all kind of rolls together though. Yeah. And then I go through and I have them do their budgets. And a lot of people haven't done this yet and it's painful, but you do. I feel like that's so important for you to understand what your expenses are and what they're going to be if you move out. And and so we look at that and then we look at their net income. And so, and you know, there's other factors playing like, was this a long-term marriage? Did this person support you throughout it? So those are in the back of my mind. But basically, we go through the budgets and we go through the net income and then we go, okay, so wife has this much money and she needs $1,000 more to be able to pay her expenses for the month. And then we look at him and we go, okay, he's got $2,000 extra each month. So he could afford, so we look at what he can afford at the same time as what she needs. And we kind of move around from there. It gets tricky when there isn't enough for both ways, you know what I mean? And then we really have to get, we have to look at their budget. They have to change things. So that's kind of a long explanation of how we do it at my practice. How does it work when you're with one person and you're trying to decide what they're going to need for maintenance?
1: Right. Well, I think this starts out with this understanding that these parties were married and at one point had a plan, right? It had an arrangement, whether they were both working, whether somebody was going to stay home with the children or support somebody's career. I've seen it where one spouse moves around a lot for their job in order to move up in, in, in the ranks and the other spouse just commits to being stay at home because it's too hard for two people to find new jobs all the time. Yeah and so when then your marriage is ending and you're finding yourself in this position where you're going to have to be separate and, and and no longer follow this plan we have to kind of take a look at what are the resources and what are the needs i mean that's about as basic as i can put it and it's it's a very emo- emotional topic for for parties whether you're on the receiving side or the paying side mm-hmm. honestly i've had plenty of people on the receiving side who will say, you know, I deserve this, you know, he left or she left, that sort of thing. I've also had people who've said, you know what, I can do this on my own. I don't want to have to take anything more. And and they kind of have that approach to it. But I think when we start to assess, you know, what are the needs and what are the resources, we have to start with this threshold question of should there be maintenance at all? And part of that assessment comes from looking at, you know, what was the plan here? Is there a plan for, you know, early retirement? Was, you know, they're going to be eventually two incomes when the kids are out of school? You know, what was their family plan? Because in order to come up with, you know, sort of what was a reasonable amount, we do look at the standard of living that they established during the marriage. and, And part of that is their plan. Now, Minnesota and Wisconsin are slightly different in how they approach maintenance. Minnesota is much more you know, what was the standard of living established during the marriage? And then can that be replicated into households with the income resources going forward? Wisconsin, I think, takes a little bit more of a partnership approach, I would say. Their maintenance words are usually a little more robust than the the Minnesota. But I think they both start kind of from the same assumption that there was a plan and it's broken now. And we have to come up with a new plan under new circumstances. So... You know, when I'm looking at creating a budget, you know, let's say I'm I'm sitting with somebody who's going to be seeking maintenance. I usually have them make, you know, three. One is what was the standard of living during the marriage. So, can you replicate for me what your what your life looked like from a financial standpoint on a monthly basis, so we can see sort of the lifestyle that we're hoping to achieve. And then I will have them make a budget of what's your, what are your expenses right now, immediately? I mean, are you in an apartment? Are you paying your own car payment? Because I want to be able to negotiate some assistance with the here and now, right? We call it the temporary, temporary meaning during the proceeding, not after. Okay, got it. Yeah, and then I have them make a forward-looking budget what's realistic, you know, go research apartments and rents. Right. Go research what life and not life insurance, um medical insurance would cost you and have something put together that's supportable and well researched and you know really defensible and between them looking at these three you can kind of come up with this concept of what's the proper number um in terms of need. But then you know, kind of the second step of that analysis is what's available. Right. And that is the income piece, right? And and that takes a while to kind of flush out and see what are, we, what are we using? What are we looking at? Is it just earned income? Is it investment income? You know, sometimes, I mean, spouses are not required to use property to meet their monthly living expenses. Right. But we have had some recent cases in Minnesota that have recently said that gifts received after divorce can be considered in looking at, you know, maybe a modification of maintenance. So, you know, things are always changing there. But, you know, at the end of the day, I think we're trying to really piece together a new plan out of what broke the first time, right? Mm -hmm.
0: We're still sitting with the
1: same resources and needs, but how can we repurpose this into something that works in two households?
0: Now, I have a question. So I'm wondering, and if you can, you know, looking at Minnesota and Wisconsin. And I think it's probably dependent on how long people were married. Mm -hmm. Are you finding, because I do sometimes try to kind of coach people who are needing maintenance to what's your plan for the future? What if this is just temporary? Because a lot of times it's not going to go all the way to retirement. And So, you know, I've worked with people where they're like, yeah, I'm going back to school. I want maintenance for six months after the date of my graduation. And that's kind of how we figure it out. Mm -hmm. But I was kind of under the assumption in, especially in Minnesota that they like to see that you're going to do something to increase your income because is it kind of an expectation that both of you are working? I think the courts will look at
1: earning capacity. So all of these factors that you mentioned kind of play into that analysis. Um, One being, you know, how, how long has this marriage lasted? That, that certainly plays a role. The longer the marriage, I think the the, sometimes the longer the maintenance, but really it's, you know, is, is the spouse seeking maintenance able to be self-supporting at some point at a standard of living that's somewhat commensurate with the standard of living that was established during the marriage. So, they call it temporary maintenance or rehabilitative maintenance, and the duration of that a lot of times is linked to what's the plan. Again, back to the plan: Are they wanting to go back to school and then get reemployment in something that will earn them more money than what they're making now or capable of earning now? And then maybe we advocate for a duration of maintenance that matches that that time frame. You know, sometimes we have people who are working right now, but if they just worked a little bit longer, they're going to get promoted or, you know, and then we can have maybe a step up, uh, in amount or step down, I should say in amount, but the courts are going to expect, I would say somebody seeking maintenance to help themselves to the extent that they, yes. you know, I have seen some people where, you know, the family plan was, you know, let's just say one spouse was going to stay home with the kids and the other spouse was going to work. Well, now they're getting a divorce. That's not going to happen anymore. If the spouse seeking maintenance is 35 and, you know, has some history of employment or even if they don't, I think, you know, at that age, the court will expect them, assuming they're healthy and able-bodied, the court will expect them to go out and and find employment at some point at a time that makes sense for the family. I tell clients who are obligors or, or potential obligors to maintenance You know, the spouse seeking maintenance can do what they want to with their life, frankly. I mean, if they don't want to work, they don't have to. But at some point, the law won't make it your problem. And so the court at some point will assume that there's going to be a level of income being earned or that should be earned that would perhaps end the maintenance award or or reduce it. So yeah, I do think there is an expectation for somebody to to become self-supporting. Right. requesting maintenance.
0: And so this helps me so much. So it's kind of earning capacity and standard of living. So mm-hmm. what you to mind is like if you have one person who's in a career where they make substantially less and they've been married a long time and this other person has their own business and they're just breaking in the dough and this person over here, maybe it's a long-term marriage, isn't really that's their career. That's what they love to do. That is not necessarily, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to have to up their income. It means that here's your standard of living. Let's try to match that. So I love that, that, that is making a clearer picture Mm -hmm. of maintenance for me. Now I wanted to ask, you know, my clients always ask me about this too. So when does maintenance end? is it automatic that if the other spouse gets remarried or if they're living with someone as if they're remarried or does that have to be in their paperwork or what is your legal information on that? Well, as with anything I say to people, it
1: depends, right? It's always always path specific and you can always find an exception to any rule. But I think... There's a lot of factors that go into the duration of maintenance. And Minnesota and Wisconsin, again, are slightly different, but a lot the same. I think generally speaking, just longer-term marriages oftentimes will result in longer-term awards or what we call permanent or indefinite awards. That term permanent sounds kind of ominous, but it really just means indefinite. And oftentimes, a permanent maintenance award will go until the obligor retires. Now, when that is to occur is also subject to negotiation or litigation, right? Should they retire or can they retire early? Are they obligated to stay till 67? I've litigated those cases and, and, you know, the, the outcomes are all over the board. But, you know, in any case, maintenance will end at the death of either party or the remarriage of the person who's receiving it, unless there's an agreement to the contrary. When it comes to the temporary maintenance, you know, like we said before, Shorter-term marriages are often this way or even longer-term marriages where one spouse has a lot ahead of them, right? So they're young, they have time to rehabilitate, retrain, get new education and get out and just, I'll just say mitigate, right? We're trying to bring more income into this pool for, for this family that's now in two separate households. And so that kind of maintenance, it's kind of all over the board of when it stops.
0: Okay. Can I ask a question? Because I hear this a lot. So what if someone is not going to get married because they're getting maintenance and they don't want that to end, but they're living with someone, sharing expenses, what happens so, then?
1: I see that all the time. It's a really difficult thing to kind of work through sometimes because, again, there's so many factors that go into it. And Minnesota made an attempt a while back to codify the some case law that tried to explore this situation and i don't know that the statute necessarily made it any clearer but you know somebody who wants to change maintenance because the other spouse the one receiving the maintenance is living with a boyfriend or a girlfriend they have to show number one that there's cohabitation and some factors surrounding that but then number two that then that makes the present award unreasonable and unfair so as part of this analysis, we have to look at, or a court has to look at whether the person receiving maintenance is going to marry the cohabitant. Okay. So that's a tough thing to prove, right? I mean, it's, I mean, it's, all they have to say is no, right? I mean, what does right. that look like? You have to look at what's the economic benefit they, the, the obligate derives from this relationship. Well, how do you measure that? The person who's living with them is likely not under court jurisdiction to, you know, necessarily easily give up their income information and tax returns. And it's hard to kind of figure out what's changed with the budget due to this. And of course, everybody says the person who moved in doesn't pay rent. You know, it just, that's just what they do. I mean, and then we have to look at, well, how long do do we think they're going to live together? That's another piece to this. I mean, it's just, it almost feels like you're looking at Fault divorce again. Uh, like, yeah. Uh, abolished a long time ago. So yeah. you're examining this relationship and trying to make all sorts of crystal ball predictions about it when you really have no idea what's going to happen there. And one thing that's really important about cohabitation is there is no legal obligation attached to that for the person living with the obligate spouse to support that person. So right. if the court comes in, you know, let's say obligor brings a motion to modify or cease maintenance, let's say, because the obligi is living with the significant other. You know, if the court says, you know what, you've met your burden, we're going to, we're going to end maintenance. Well, if those, if the obligi breaks up with his or her significant other, that's it. You can't come back and get maintenance started again. It's done. And that's right. the in one respects because there's no legal obligation to dating somebody, unlike right. The marriage, right? And that's why there is a big distinction in between cohabitation as a reason to change maintenance or remarriage, because remarriage laws attach, right? right? And then there's a new person to kind of step into the shoes of the abogor. It should that marriage deteriorate and end. I have seen courts when approached with the request to end maintenance due to cohabitation, if it's if it's a pretty obvious case of cohabitation and that they're really just not getting married because they don't want to lose the maintenance award. The court oftentimes will reserve maintenance or hold it open. So I've seen where the court will say, you know what, I'm just going to suspend it. Uh, That way there is still a way to come back if that relationship, you know, fails to thrive and when they break up, then we can come back to court and ask for maintenance to start again. And at least there's still that option if it's reserved versus terminated.
0: That totally makes sense. And this is kind of leading to the last question that I had for you. When parties set up maintenance, can they make the decision when they're going through it to not give the court the ability to come back in and change it. Do they have that? I think in Minnesota it's called the Karen waiver. And in yeah, Wisconsin, exactly. I think there's some language too. But can you talk about that just a little bit before we go? Yeah, absolutely. That's
1: kind of when I talk to my clients, I always say there's there's three things you have to talk about with maintenance. It's amount, duration, and modifiability. You know, there's a lot of factors that go into figuring out maintenance and a lot of assumptions and predictions that have to go into that calculation and that includes you know is the obligor spouse going to maintain employment you know are they going to get raises and promotions we don't necessarily want the obligee spouse to share in in the future right perhaps because it's not a profit sharing plan on the other hand you know what if you know somebody becomes unable to work or something drastic changes there
0: I just wanted to get in here and tell you about my parenting plan course. It can help you no matter where you live and what stage of the divorce you're in or how you're going through the divorce or maybe even if you're already divorced or were never married. This parenting plan is here to help you parent together even if you're not together because we all know that that is what is best for our children. We can actually mitigate the damages that having separate parents causes children by working together. So start now, go to LisaKoski.com. check out my online course. It's going to save you time and money. Whether you're working with a mediator, attorneys, or collaborative law attorneys, you together can have this piece of your paperwork completed on your own through my online course. Check it out now. So Michelle was just going to talk about how... When she looks at spousal ma- maintenance, she looks at the amount, the duration, and if it's modifiable. And we were kind of talking about, can you modify maintenance? And so you were in the, and the, I know in Minnesota, there's Karen waiver language, but can you let the listeners know a little bit about that? Maintenance is something that if ordered by the court without an agreement between
1: the parties, it, it can be modifiable. Because the court and the law recognizes that there's changes in circumstances that can happen as as life moves forward. And when we're setting maintenance or even when we're asking the court to order maintenance, we're making a lot of assumptions about what's going to happen that may or may not come to fruition. And so the court likes to maintain some control over the maintenance award. If something were to change that makes it unreasonable or unfair, then they have the option to change something about it or end it. When we're negotiating maintenance, for one reason or another, sometimes we want to remove that ability for it to be modified. And again, sometimes it's about safeguarding against maybe some potential changes we're anticipating, whether that's, you know, somebody wants to retire early or change jobs and change their income. There's a lot of reasons why we might want to negotiate a a waiver, what we call a waiver of that modification ability. And so I tell some clients that are receiving maintenance, you know, a bird in the hand is better than two in the bush. You know, that's one reason that you might want to accept it because you're not reliant on that other spouse to make a monthly payment to you and you're not at risk of them losing their job or something like that and maintenance ending or going down when your own life hasn't changed. Right. So, and there's certainty in receiving non-modifiable maintenance. And so you know exactly what's, what's coming. And I guess. A lot of times when we have non-modifiable maintenance, we might buy out a part of it. When you're negotiating whether or not maintenance should be modifiable, there's often a, a price to pay for that. And that comes in the form of negotiating a, a full or a partial buyout of maintenance. And so we kind of negotiate that piece of it too. A buyout means perhaps somebody gets more property than than they would otherwise get just to, to pay for perhaps a care on waiver or part of the maintenance award.
0: That is so helpful to me and is going to make me a better mediator because that's just another thing to add to the creative ideas I can give to people so that is a huge huge tip for me and people trying to get through this. So Michelle, thank you so much for being with me and for living through the glitches of, of you know going black on air. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, but can you just let our listeners know and I will have it in the show notes? How can they connect with you and your firm?
1: Absolutely.
0: Well, my new
1: home here is is, Helmuth and Johnson and our website is hjlawfirm.com. And you can give me, I'll I'll give you my direct dial. How about that? Wow. This is special. It's (laughs) 952-460-9259. And we get you a call back.
0: All right. That sounds great. So listeners, if you are going through difficult times and you need some legal advice on any issues surrounding divorce and family law, not just spousal maintenance, give Michelle a call. So Michelle, thank you. It's always a pleasure to have you. Thank you, Lisa. It's good to see you.
1: Thank you for listening to the Doing Divorce Different podcast. Connect with us at lisakoski.com and sign up for our newsletter.